Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm Deputy Editor Sherlyn Lowe, plus allergies-ish. <laughs> plus allergies. Poor Sherlyn has been off for a while and now is just... I think you came on full force, Sherlyn. That's that's what it yeah, was. I Your did. body had whiplash from rest My body to... was like, what is going on? I don't know if it's allergies. So anyway, I apologize oh, for the scratchy voice, but yeah. Okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. We'll take it easy. This week, folks, we have finally learned that Apple has officially uh, announced its next iPhone event for September 12th. Well, we don't know specifically iPhone, right? But, you know, it's it's iPhone. We all, we all figure that. Um, and now this is actually a really good time to do a little preview and a little roundup of all the rumors you've had so far. And joining us to talk about that is a special guest, Mark Gurman from Bloomberg. You may know his name from all those leaks. He's the person who leaks most of these reports about Apple and all every cool thing that they're working on. So we'll be chatting with him in a bit. As always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. Drop us an email at podcastandgadget.com. It's always good to have your feedback. Uh, we have heard, um, I think, Ben, we got some good feedback from the last episode. People want to hear more gaming talk, more Ben talk. Uh, thanks to Sumit Roy for uh, sending some feedback there. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be bringing back our Thursday live streams. We may actually end up doing some live streams ahead of these Apple events, right? Like those are important enough. For us to get back on video well, so we shall see i don't know yeah, yeah yeah we just have to figure out our like resource situation so many so many issues in media right now and for us it's just been live streams and you know what among all the problems out there it seems like not a huge one all right folks it's that time of the year again we're waiting for apple's big event we're all excited to cover it and joining us to talk about it is mark german over at Bloomberg, uh, chief correspondent, writer of the Power On newsletter. Mark, how's it going? Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be on here. Uh, been probably reading Engadget for at least 15 years, maybe 18 to 20. <laughs> oh, my God. So it is. You know. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and I think it's my first time on an Engadget platform wow. or podcast. So I was very excited when you reached out. So glad to be here. That's funny. Your your That's name's great. been on our site a lot though. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, listen, funny. listeners will probably know Mark's name because he is usually attached to all the iPhone rumors and Apple rumors that we report. And I will tell you, Mark, I've been writing about tech since like 2010 and even before then. Like I you you've been in the game. Like I think you were in yeah. high school, right? Breaking uh, scoops and stuff. High school, yeah. 2010 uh, 2000, end of 2009, early 2010 is when I started as well. So, uh, you know, we're both veterans here. 
<laughs> but uh yeah um let's just say i'm i'm probably I'm just a, little a fresh older. little baby yeah, fr- that's a baby. fresh little baby it's it's hilarious <laughs> but yeah thank you so much mark for joining us and i think i think this is a going to be a pretty interesting year for the iphone so i'm just going to go down what we basically expect from based on your reporting and a lot of this is from your reporting um but this year we are expecting the iphone 15 and the iphone uh, 15 pro and pro max uh, 15 uh, plus as well too right this is also the year of USB-C, right? Based on your reporting, it seems like this is Apple's big shift year, right, for USB-C? USB-C, yep. That's going to be there across all four iPhone models. In addition, it's going to be there for the new uh, AirPods Pro. And then you'll see them bring USB-C Woo-hoo. yeah, to all of their accessories, whether that's Mac accessories or, or otherwise. Uh, it's interesting. The way they have the connector strategy going so far is they have these Macs that all have USB-C. But in order to charge and connect the Mac peripherals, those use lightning, right? And you have the AirPods that have lightning. uh, And then they're only going to switch one AirPods at the get-go to USB-C. And so it is going to continue to be a little bit confusing. But within months' time, the strategy is going to become even clearer where basically everything can charge up through USB-C. So I think that's a positive and about time, right? I feel like it's going to be less of a difficult transition than the old, uh, you know, Apple connector pin to to Lightning. I remember when that was happening, um, I was covering that. I'm sure you've written about it, Mark. I think a lot of us were asking at the time, why didn't Apple just go straight to USB-C back then? It wasn't widely supported, but it did exist, right? It seemed like a weird decision for them. Yeah, I think they wanted something proprietary, and there's a number of reasons why they want a proprietary connector. Uh, one is their made-for-iPhone program, which they get royalties from and revenue from from accessory makers and it's sort of difficult to do that when you're using an industry standard and then lightning also had a few benefits over usb-c right it is it is smaller right it could even be considered uh at least by apple it was considered more durable at the time i think the truth is usb-c is more durable because it doesn't have the nine pins on top that can get scraped off right so there oh my god so you know there was a debate Right. And then to your point also, USB-C did exist, but it was super nascent. The switch to lightning was made in 2012. I don't think USB-C, well, to your point correctly that it existed, I don't think a USB-C ecosystem really took off uh, until 2015, 2016. Now, here's something that really hasn't been talked about. There was a push inside Apple to sort of make Lightning a competitor to USB-C all the way back then. If you remember the the 12-inch MacBook, that was the first MacBook uh, with the single USB-C port in the first USB-C Mac. In development, that actually had a Lightning port, right? So they really wanted wanted to use Lightning uh, across the line and make that a long-term connector strategy. Uh, obviously that didn't work out, but you know, things could look very different today uh, had that worked out. I, I sometimes think back like, man, the world would look very different if Apple was just like, hey, yeah, USB-C, whatever. Let's just let's just get on this. Uh, because one thing you've written about is that Lightning is, um, even though it is smaller, it's, it's definitely not as durable. Um, I don't know what it is with my pockets, but every year my iPhone's little Lightning port gets stuffed with debris and then it just stops oh, yeah. connecting properly like i have to do some digging and fishing that never happens with the USB-C devices and those pins aren't great but you've also written mark that um lightning is uh stuck at usb2 speeds and we are well beyond that now so usb-c 
could at least unlock um, faster speeds, right? Faster data transfer, potentially faster charging? At least on the Pro phones, you'll see faster charging, uh, probably up to 35 uh, watt up from the current, which I believe is closer to, what, 15 or 20. Uh, and then the faster data transfer speeds, that, of course, will require a you know a Thunderbolt cable, which those can go between $50 and $150, depending if you're mm-hmm. buying it from Amazon or from Best Buy mm-hmm. or from Apple, right? Uh, and so, yeah, there are certainly benefits there. But to your point about how this transition is going to go, I, I can talk about myself personally. Personally, I've been wirelessly charging only uh, probably for close to four or five years now, right? So I have these MagSafe chargers throughout my home, uh, wireless charging in the car, wireless charging at my office. So I don't really know when I plug in. I mean, I probably plug in once every three months or so. Let's say my battery is down to 5% and I need to get out of here and I'm going to be leaving, right, for five hours or something. I need to turn, I put the phone on low power mode. I put the phone on airplane mode. I turn off everything that uses battery life. I plug in a, a lightning connector to USB-C into my MacBook Pro charger, and I can get up to like 80% in like half an hour to an hour, right? So that's really the only use case for, for me for plugging in at this point. Uh, I don't sync with iTunes. I don't sync to the computer. It's all through oh, yeah. wireless, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I can only speak for myself. I think that it's, the way I use my phones is probably representative of you all and maybe most of the people listening to this podcast. But in terms of the general population, most people certainly still plug in. And so I think you will still see a, a large portion of the population be up in arms about this. Now, Apple will mitigate it by including a pretty nice USB-C cable in the box. Uh, the downside is that a large percentage, I would venture to guess the majority of iPhone owners might not necessarily have a power brick with a USB-C at the end. If you remember, Apple stopped including chargers in the box with the iPhone 12. The last phone to include it was the iPhone 11 and the iPhone 11 Pro. The iPhone 11 Pro, that included a power brick with the USB-C connector, but the regular iPhone 11 and all iPhones prior to that those were USB 2 ports. So I still think a portion of the population will need to buy new power Ugh. bricks. Kind of related to all this, it sucks. we've seen the rumors too that Apple may be working on just a completely portless iPhone moving forward, right? Wireless yeah. everything. Do you, I mean, it seems like it would fit with your life, Mark. I will say, like, I still plug in for, like, my car, which is not that old. It's a 2019 Volvo with decent tech, but I have to plug in for CarPlay. A lot of people still have to plug in for things. But do you do you think a portless iPhone is on the horizon, Mark? I do. Uh, I think that the portless iPhone is going to come within a few years from now. I certainly don't think it would have come in time for this European Union uh, requirement for Apple and all these other tech device makers to switch to USB-C. But I do still believe a portless iPhone is coming. It is something they have been testing, uh, and it's going to happen. Obviously, the Apple Watch has technically been portless for a number of years. Uh, They'll get there. It'll take a little while longer, but they'll get there. (laughs) I have a question about uh, something that kind of you, we brought up when we just started talking about the switch to USB-C, which is you mentioned the made for iPhone program, Mark. And I, I think I have been curious about this. Do you think Apple will make its own USB-C cables along with this launch and sell it more expensive and do the thing where like if you use some third party USB-C cable, it's going to be like a little slower or it's going to throw up this warning that's like, oh, you know, you're not using a compatible charger. It's going to be super dead or super slow. So I think so up to a degree. I don't think they'll throw a pop-up or anything like that. I do think there'll be benefit to USB-C 
uh, cables that are authorized through Apple, maybe in terms of speed and other features. But I think all USB-C cables will certainly work. Uh, the other side of it is I don't think Apple will sell through its retail channels or through its authorized partner channels uh, any USB-C cables that are not authorized through the made-for-iPhone program, right? So they'll still collect revenue. On the other hand, I don't think it's going to be as lucrative as Lightning was because all Lightning cables right. needed that authorization. But these third-party USB-C cables will still work. And so for from a consumer standpoint, uh, I don't anticipate an issue there. It's a very small portion of the population who's going to care about charging speeds. Most people are charging at their desk or overnight. Yeah, I will, I will say uh, I, I'm glad Apple will not do anything to make USB-C more confusing than it already is because, oh, my God, I just – I love having oh. a single port, but it is so annoying to figure out like, okay, is this charging at the right speed? Is this Thunderbolt or not? Like, oh man, it is It is such a mess right now. We should talk about what these new phones will look like though. And you've done some reporting on that, Mark. Um, it sounds like the iPhone 15 will look a lot like the iPhone 14, but we, we will likely see the dynamic island on it, right? So the iPhone 14... Uh, didn't really have much new, but the iPhone 15, in terms of the base models, you're going to see improvements there. Basically, they're bringing over a few of the main features, I would say the three main features of the iPhone 14 Pro to the iPhone 15 and iPhone 15 Plus. And so those three features would be the A16 chip uh, from last year's 14 Pro. That would be the Dynamic Island, but also the camera improvements on the back of the 14 Pro would come to the back of the 15 and 15 plus. So a few nice upgrades for people who want those lower end phones. Obviously those are priced far more aggressively and probably a great deal for most people. And still and still no always on display probably though, right? In terms of the always on display uh, on the regular 14 or coming to the regular 15 and 15 plus, I had not heard anything about that. The thing I'm more interested in is when is Apple going to get the promotion stuff? And I guess promotion is in the pro name, so maybe never. But I would love to see high refresh rates on the base iPhone because every Android phone is doing it now. Once you use, yeah, once you use promotion, it's sort of hard not to. Uh, Like I'll play with an iPad mini or an iPad Air, like a non, uh, an iPad without promotion. And it's just so totally different. And before promotion, it looked totally fine, but these days it doesn't look great. And I know this is such a minor thing in the in the context of life and in the world, but no, you know, you can tell the difference. It depends on what you're doing. Right. I'm constantly the way I use my phones, I'm constantly scrolling through people who looked at my Instagram stories and you get a huge <laughs> difference when the names are jumping and they're not making any sense. It's like and it's nauseating yeah, you for feel me. It, you point. feel it in your eyes. We've talked about this before, but like when you see high refresh rates, folks, it is so smooth. It is it is like butter and going back to anything sixty hertz just feels so so jittery. So I don't know. If you care about that, you gotta go pro, it seems. These new pros you've reported also will have uh, thinner bezels potentially titanium frames, um, glass that curves and disappears more into the frame, and potentially a periscope camera lens for the Pro Max. Um, any any more details you can shed around that, Mark? I mean, the big thing is the bezels. It uses this new technology called LiPo, L-I-P-O, and that stands for some fancy, long scientific name. But it's essentially a new production process for manufacturing displays that allows them to get the bezels. It's going to be about a third thinner than the bezels on the iPhone uh, you know, 14 Pro. And if you look at the bezels on the 14 Pro, it's not like they're thick bezels by any means, but now (laughs) they're going to be getting, yeah, much closer uh, to the edge. Yeah, you can see they're not that thick. Uh, But 
already thinking about you know those new thinner bezels and looking at the the bezels on my 14 Pro. Now they suddenly <laughs> in my brain they seem thick to me, but at the end of the day, it's a border <laughs> around a phone, a thousand dollar phone display. So you know who really cares in, in the in the long run? Um, I'm pretty excited yeah. for the new titanium frame. That makes the phone a bit lighter. It feels, you know, five to ten percent lighter. So that's going to be quite significant, I think. Uh, but if you use a case, again, yes. does that really matter, right? So those are going to be two enhancements on the industrial design. There, uh, the A17 chip, better battery life. Uh, that's going to be quite significant. And then the periscope camera. Periscope camera is a fancy term for those unfamiliar, which allows you to get a wider range of optical zoom. That means it's using the actual hardware to zoom in rather than software. And as you know, anyone who uses digital zoom on an iPhone, you know the quality yep. dips so significantly, right? So bad. Right? So you're going to get yeah basically double the zoom uh, going from 3X to 6X through hardware. So that's going to be a nice quality of life improvement. I never thought I'd be a Zoom photography girl mm. until I went into the woods the other day. I was looking for deer <laughs> and there were some deer far away. And I was like, I'm not going to go close enough to startle them. But the Zoom lens on this iPhone 14 Pro that I'm using is obnoxiously bad. Right. It's so bad. So I was like, this, this, this is good news. That's, optical Zoom would be much Especially better. when Android phones are getting a lot of crazy yes. optical Zoom oh options God. or doing, doing wild things. Apple, it does feel like Apple has to compete here. So specifically, Mark, you reported that the periscope lens will likely just be for the Pro Max because it's bigger and it's going to have more room. My issue with the Pro Maxes is that they have been so heavy. It's like basically half a pound. Like yep. I like to test them. Yep. I would not want to live with them. Since this is going to have a titanium frame, do you think it's going to be appreciably, you know, lighter than the previous models? I think five to ten percent. But like I said, if you use a case, uh, it's really not going to make a difference. Have you ever tried the iPhone night mode, like in a really dark exterior? Try to take pictures of the stars or the moon. Yeah. Have you yeah. tried that? Mm -hmm. It actually works pretty well. I'm not 100% sure if they're going to add a dedicated feature for it like Google has, but hopefully the Zoom capabilities can play into that. I love taking pictures of the stars. Uh, and obviously this week we had the, the the thing with the moon outside. The moon. Right? And so, yeah. um, you know, hopefully some enhanced feature there. Not that I know if that's coming or not. Uh, that would be nice. But definitely if you're listening to this, you haven't tried taking pictures outside of stars deep in the night with the night mode on the iPhone, you should give that a shot. Mm-hmm. It probably looks a little less impressive than some of those Samsung moonshots, which I think they're still reporting going around staged, like they're they're just kind of faking some of those. But it, yeah, that's hilarious. This may be the first time I'm considering an actual Pro Max just for that zoom. So I don't know. I, I guess we'll see. I'm thinking about it, too. I'm yeah, definitely, definitely tempted. So Dynamic Island, uh, as we talked about, is likely is going to be going to the iPhone 15. I, I feel like since Apple announced it with the uh, the Pro models last year, like we haven't really They've seen done nothing. much from it. It's exactly yeah. as I predicted. <laughs> I, like I called uh -huh. it the not-so-dynamic island when it launched. There's not really <laughs> a ton of new functionality that it brought to the table. It's sort of a new interface. In a way, and I hate to say this, but it was basically the most Apple-like feature because they were putting lipstick on a pig, right? The ugliest portion <laughs> of the iPhone is that notch. It's that cutout. And they took that and they've spun it into a feature. If that's not the most Apple marketing right. thing uh, that you can think of, I don't know what is. And it works well. It's fluid. It's nice. But like I said, I feel like Apple comes out with these new software-based features on an annual basis, rolls them out, and then moves on and completely forgets about them and does nothing to enhance it. 
And the the amount that they've added to the dynamic island since it first rolled out last year has been extraordinarily minimal. Now, is there a possibility Apple rolls out a slew of iPhone 15 hardware-specific dynamic island features in September? Entirely possible. But for now, the dynamic island is a nice to have, but I don't think it really changes the iPhone user experience. It's not necessarily a reason to upgrade. It's nice. Mm -hmm. It's funny because I used to think that, wow, like, you know, when I first saw it, I was like, okay, it makes a difference. The funny thing is I've been hanging out with people who have the 13 Pro and I have, I'm sorry, the, the 12 Pro and I have the 13 Pro and I'm like, oh, that's the 13 Pro, right? It's got the dynamic island. No, it's a whole ass notch. And I'm like, I absolutely thought the notch was a dynamic island. That's how minimal the difference actually is, which is very embarrassing for me to admit because this is my job. And so I was like, I was telling my friend, oh crap, oh, I totally misidentified your phone. I do feel yeah. like by going to the base iPhone, like that gives developers more of a, more of a reason to push yes. it. Like uh, yes. certainly point. some of the stuff we've seen would you know seems like it'll go somewhere uh i know your time is limited mark so we're just going to barrel through well i want i want to say one more thing on on, on, on the dynamic island uh on the thinner bezels these enhancements they're all a means to an end right what apple really wants to do is roll out a borderless notchless cutoutless iphone and it takes years if not a decade to get to that point. And they started in 2017 with the iPhone 10, removing the home button, and they've gradually shrunk the borders and shrunk the bezels. And so you're seeing this this metamorphosis play out publicly over the last five years, and it's going to continue over the next five years, to go to that original iPhone design to a screenless borderless iPhone. So we're seeing it play out and moving the dynamic island to more models moving the bezels to something that's thinner using new LiPo technology, you're slowly getting there year after year. And the iPhone 15 Pro is going to represent the closest take yet to what their platonic ideal is for how the next generation of iPhone should look. It's a really interesting way to see yeah. it. Yeah. Speaking of design too, like I think given everything we've talked about, it does seem like very minimal changes overall, uh, visually at least. Like this is not a huge design leap year for Apple. When do we expect to see like the next one? The next one where the the iPhone may look actually functionally different. I think it's going to be a while. It's certainly not going to be next year. I'm not even sure it's going to be 2025. It could be 2026 or 2027 uh, for that big, big leap. I mean, the days of these real big overhauls, right. those yeah. have been right. gone uh, for a number a number of years. I mean, the big, big overhaul uh, was going from the iPhone 7 to the iPhone 10. Uh, the iPhone... F- I, I think the two biggest design leaps ever in the history of the iPhone were probably going from the 3GS to the 4, so 2010, and then going from uh, the 5 to the 6, right? And since then, it's all been pretty uh, moderate. A couple exceptions, the four to the five, the seven to the 10. Yeah, It fits with the thing you were just talking about, which is like, it's giving me the idea that Apple wants this platonic ideal, but it's not going to do that overnight. It wants to kind of get people used to these small changes along the way. So it's like the frog cooking in the pot of water instead of throwing it in boiling hot water is slowly warming up the water, right? Like, (laughs) Except that that's a bad thing for the frog. I know, but if you want to be a good it, thing it for the users, right? The company kind of understands people right. are like so resistant to so much change at once that it's just slowly getting there. I don't know. I don't that's know. kind of the, the sense is, I got when you. This were is also the company that. who's like, "Hey, we're just changing all our chips. Deal with it." 
you know? That's yeah. funny. Well, they do, they move as fast as they technically could, right? And right. so I think that this frog analogy you made in the water, it is a, um, it is a result of the time it takes for the technology to develop. So there's two things at play here. One, they need to wait for the technology to become available. That's one. Two, they have to wait for the technology to come ava- become available at the scale that they need it at, right? There are things that they could potentially do at the scale of sales for the Google Pixel phone. But in order to get those technologies into things at the scale of 100 million units, that's a totally different problem. And then the byproduct of that is they get to slowly introduce people to these features over time and, like you said, warm them up to it. Uh, so the fire being such a slow fire is not for the sake of the frog, but for the sake of the chef. I, exactly. I guess. We're, we're just going to keep going on this analogy, Trillin. <laughs> we are cl- you know, clocking for time, but I do want to say, like, uh, Mark, do you have any thoughts about uh, Apple's ideas around foldables? There have been rumors that potentially maybe a foldable iPad, maybe something like the iPad mini that you can fold could be a thing coming. Do you think that's kind of what Apple's thinking versus foldable iPhones? I don't think there's anything uh, imminent on foldables from Apple, but I know they're looking at at foldables across the board, whether that's phones, Macs, iPads. Uh, it's funny. I was thinking about it. The, the, the laptop is the original foldable, right? Uh, but, they, <laughs> but they certainly are looking at you know, how they can make that more of a fold. I think they're really stuck on the idea of how they think that the technology that Samsung is using is a beta being played out in public. And I think the crease in the middle of the display, the sound that these foldable phones Mm. make when they open and shut, sort of the, um, it feels a little too, maybe a little too flexible. It feels a little too flimsy. I think they're waiting for something uh, that is less flimsy. Remember, the problem, which is also a benefit for Apple, obviously, uh, is the scale, the amount of units they need. Imagine having 100 million units of that full display technology out there versus a few hundred yeah. or a few million units, right? The amount of support problems, the amount of technology problems, the amount of uh, crease issues that are going to come up. It's a totally different ball game between Apple units and the current fold units. Okay. Well, you know what, Mark? Um, yeah, we had some questions about the Vision Pro. Let's take them. I'm thinking um, we saw the Vision Pro. Did you get to try it on at Apple's campus, by the way? I did not try the Vision Pro at, at Apple's okay. campus, no. Gotcha. We we did a couple episodes on that. I did a demo of it. It is quite like amazing technology. As somebody who's been like obsessively covering Apple for so long, where where do you think that thing tells us where Apple's headed? Because for me, it feels like, you know, a world where there are no screens, re- really, for them. You know, for Apple, the Vision Pro could go either way. It could be a complete flop or it could be the beginning of their future. It could be the ultimate nail in the coffin for the iPhone, Mac, and iPad all in one fill swoop. And so it's so it's still too early to see how that's going to play out. I think the first year of the Vision Pro is going to be rough. I think you're going to see a uh, strong amount of sales to the early adopter crowd, the Apple fanboy crowd, uh, the people like us, people listening to this podcast Mm -hmm. crowd. Mm -hmm. And so they'll get their million units sold uh, probably in the first one to three months. And then after that, I think you're going to see a pretty significant drop off uh, until the second generation product comes out at that lower price. Uh, And then it's going to probably take to the third or fourth generation to take off, but the price is going to have to come down pretty dramatically. They're going to have to get to iPhone pricing, high-end iPad pricing for this to make uh, any dent. I think at sub $1,000, this is something that they would sell 
so many of. But at $3,500, it's just so completely out of reach. I really think that there's a price range of between $3,000 and $5,000 where the amount of people buying it, the market is not going to change, right? But once you go below $1,000 or at that $1,000 price point, it would skyrocket. Now, I don't know how long it's going to take for Apple to get there. I certainly don't think the new low-end one coming, uh, let's see, we're in 2023. This will hit in 2025. I don't think they're going to hit the $1,000 price point with that. I would say that it would be probably sub-2,000, maybe 1600 to 1800 uh, I don't think, I think that moves the needle, but not to the degree that Apple needs it to for this to be the future of the company. Gotcha. So, so it sounds like some change is happening, but whatever it is with the Vision Pro will be very slow. That's kind of where we all landed, but uh, you know what? I can't wait to get more time with it. I hope uh, I hope you get to try it out soon, Mark. Mark, are you going to be at the event? Does Apple invite you to events? <laughs> <laughs> I will be covering the event. You'll be covering. Okay, so I'm just not going to see you in person. That's fine. <laughs> it's uh, I, I can imagine like Apple just has one person dedicated to all of Mark's mo- movements. We were talking know? about yeah. maybe they like escort you in and out. <laughs> They're like right by your side. Oh okay. man, I'll be covering okay. the event. It's uh, I'm looking forward to covering it. Looking forward to getting my hands on uh, the new models and uh, stay tuned. A lot more reporting to come over the next uh, week and a half or so. Awesome. So much. So thank you, Mark. And I just want to tell people, hey, uh, subscribe to the Power On newsletter at Bloomberg. I love getting that thing and getting like your insights uh, you know, super quickly. Where can people find you on the internet these days, Mark? Yeah, no, please. Um, Bloomberg.com slash Power On to sign up to get Power On uh, in your inbox. Obviously, you can also access it at the Bloomberg website. Uh, but to get news from me across the board, uh, quickly, twitter.com slash Mark Gurman or x.com slash Mark Gurman. Uh, and I'll see you online. See you online, Mark. Thank you so much. Thanks all. All right. Thanks again to Mark for joining us. And um, it's not just Apple that has events. Oh, my this, God. I know. This, this next month and over the next few months, this is time. This is prime tech event time. What is coming up, Sherlyn? So... I like we we said oh sorry I came back and everything is full force. This week was a week of invites, or maybe like last week we got Microsoft's invite for the September twenty first event, right? So we know that's coming up. Then we've got Amazon actually announced earlier this year, like July or something, that they were having an event September twentieth at their Virginia headquarters, and that got an um, I got my invite to that this week as well. So we got Apple September twelfth, uh-huh. we got Amazon September twentieth, we got Microsoft September twenty first, and all of these. All big events, too. They're all going to show devices. They're all going to show hardware. It's hardware fall season. And then this week, uh, on Wednesday, Google announced it's made by Google event. It's going to be happening on October 4th in probably New York, I'm assuming. So I got my invite for that. So I got invites to everything, which makes me feel very like happy. You know, I'm like, oh, they all want You're me all lined there. Up. Yeah, fill up your calendar. You know what's coming. Better than being surprised. Better than getting a exactly. note five days before an event. Like, fly to Seattle. Vendor, I was... Oh I was God. trying to say I'm popular. Okay, you just totally missed the point. <laughs> I don't know. No, uh, what's just... your what's your Threads follower count now, Sherlyn? That's that not great. That determines about twelve hundred. It's about twelve hundred. No, okay. nobody uses Threads anyway. It's it's a, I, what happened to the one hundred hundreds of millions of people that were on Threads? I don't know. That's to die pretty quickly. They're not but yeah, following me. We've got a lot of events coming. Actually, in between all this, I know Intel is going to be dropping some stuff at one of their events at the end of this month. Uh, Samsung is coming up in October. There's HP OnePlus. There's it's so IFA. funny. Yeah. IFA stuff is happening. Well, IFA is going on like now-ish, actually. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about it. But yeah, it's like event season. And if like any regular year, we'd be in Berlin right now, probably some of us 
freaking out over like how to get to Apple right after this or something. Um, doesn't Meta or Oculus have some kind of thing oh, yes. coming up too? The Dad? Oculus Connect event is, uh, I believe, also at the end of September. And we'll probably, we'll definitely hear more about the Quest 3 there. So, you know, we're looking forward to it. Um, I'm already planning some travel. I'm going to be back in New York for this Microsoft Surface Ooh. event. Um, I need to send you some pictures, Sherlyn, because I found this Airbnb, which is a Kingdom Hearts, like, super fans Airbnb. <laughs> so... There are keyblades on the wall. There are little uh, Funko Pops everywhere. It's amazing. Yes. Okay. That's awesome. I was going to say that's not relevant to my interest, but cute pictures. Yes. I, cute pictures. I and them. also, I don't, I don't know what's going on with Airbnbs in New York, but uh, yeah, a lot of crazy things. They wild. Yeah. Yeah. They're wild. Um, and actually, so you just mentioned IFA is going on right now. We've got some news on the site from that. Um, basically, stuff from the familiar companies like HP, Lenovo, Hue. Um, we don't have anybody on the ground at IFA, which I feel is still a little unusual for us. That was always a fun event to go to, you know, pre-pandemic. Think, yeah. Yeah, I think that the people that we would normally send are either like, you know, recovering from accidents or um, not really in the with the bandwidth to travel for the show. So I, I wouldn't I don't know if we're ever going back to IFA. Oh, we're um, definitely going to go back to IFA. It's so big. There's a lot of stuff happening. Yeah. I, I don't really know. I think I think uh, it's like if we have it would be nice right it's always good for team building to go to these events and i love going to berlin when the plumbing works um geez but but ifa like many other shows is you know losing a bit of importance right because we can get a lot of the coverage um remotely for example there will still be hands-ons from us uh around a lot of these ifa product announcements later this week so i would recommend y'all stick to us go to engadget.com refresh today tomorrow whatever because there's some interesting products I've seen in person coming that we can't talk about right now. I wish I could have talked about it, but it's really interesting. Um, and we saw that in New York. We didn't have to go to Berlin to see it. Sure, a lot of stuff is just kind of winding now. I feel like of all the Euro events, I still hope Mobile World Congress sticks around. Yeah, we, I know. We enjoy going to Barcelona and also yeah, it it's, is a rare, it's a rare time to like get to see all these companies we don't normally talk about. And it's a dis- different perspective of the tech world. I remember the first time I went to Mobile World Congress in like 2012. That was where I saw some early 5G demos. That was where the Windows 8 launch event was at a hotel oh gosh, in Bar- yeah. like yeah. outside of Barcelona. And that was just, it's a very formative experience to see companies take big risks with big events like that. So I don't know. I hope we don't lose some of that stuff. Yeah, I remember like uh, Samsung used to do their announcements of the S series at yes. Mobile World Congress yeah. too. So it used to be a big deal and now it's just not quite... Uh, yeah. yeah, and th- we'll then they see. moved to, I think it was at CES one year, and then right after, now they just own right after CES, right? Like, they just yes, exactly. took over that space. So It's just like, why? Can yeah. I have a break, please? Is right. there any of the news coming out of IFA that, uh, that you know, it's particularly memorable right now, Sherlyn? I, 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 I don't think that the news has all been officially announced yet. I know stuff coming up. Maybe next week, right? Maybe next week we'll chat about That's it. That's true. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I will say that uh, when Google announced uh, Made by Google event is, you know, live, right? Like, what are we expecting to see? Obviously, we're going to see the Pixel 8, probably. Um, and that's like Google apparently also sometime this week, quote, maybe accidentally no. leaked its own <laughs> Pixel 8 Pro. On the day Apple announced that the iPhone event is happening on September 12th. Uh, I love, I love like, how. I forget where it was. I love there was a page on the, on the Google store, apparently. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would say I love how salty uh, Google can get sometimes. Like, here you go. Listen, we were just talking about Apple and working with Apple and what that is and what how fraught that can be with, with Mark, right? But then, like, with Google, it's very different, 
they're they're very like acceptable like they they accept what happens right they're like leaks fine well sure of course because and i think that that's the healthier approach because like everyone that cares about this news already knows it's coming right everyone else that's gonna not know your your stuff doesn't give a shit enough to check you mm-hmm. know, to wait for your event to like yeah. be surprised and wild by your generational increase in your specs. Like, of, I know there's going to be a Pixel 8 coming, right? I know you're going to make camera improvements. I know you're going to make processor improvements. This sort of stuff doesn't need to be hidden or guarded as secretly or closely. And leaks Surprise are, me with something else. Leaks are free publicity, too. Like, there's less exactly. of a need for these companies to get angry for it. What I will say is that um, it's a little, I don't know, a little desperate a little desperate to when be they leaking leak your own stuff. Yeah. It's like, hey guys, th- I-, I think I joked about this once about somebody leaving a phone. Yeah, somebody left a Pixel phone at a bar. A, it was either a year or two ago, and I had joked it. This was out there for a while, and nobody cared because it was like a Pixel. <laughs> it wasn't like big news. Uh, now it seems right. like it's just funny that Google's just like, hey, let's do this thing. I feel like the leaks have to be <laughs> a little more organic from the community side. Yeah. To really have yeah. that, that flavor to them, you know? I get that. I understand <laughs> that. I, I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I just don't understand the, like, you know, tightly guarding information to the point where, like, you you know, you make your, your own employees feel so, you know, walking on eggshells around all of that stuff. Yeah. I don't know. For, but like, an iterative fine. device upgrade? Exactly. Yeah, oh, my God. You're working on a Pixel 8? Who imagined? Now, if it was, like, oh, we have completely reimagined. We have a three-dimensional folding phone with a projection display. If it's, like, a secret product? Then sure. Yeah. Sure. Go go yeah, a little crazy. Exactly. Or the Pixel Watch, right? I get that. Pixel Watch was highly anticipated last year. Uh, sure, like sure, that. sure it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you so mean. <laughs> okay. So mean. Um Aww. oh man. Okay, let's move on to some other news. And there's a bunch of things yeah. happening um this week. And I think the biggest one is that Meta announced that it took down thousands of fake accounts uh, linked to a massive uh, propaganda campaign from the Chinese government. Carissa Bell wrote this up for us. And I think it's just, it's notable because it's just so big. You know, Meta and social networks typically talk about like, oh yeah, yeah, we, we found these like weird, um, these weird propaganda accounts and we stamped them out. Uh, Meta says that they took down 7,700 Facebook accounts, 954 pages, 15 groups, and 15 Instagram accounts, which makes it one of the largest networks of fake accounts that they've ever uncovered. Yeah, I, I think it's funny. So according to Meta, the fake accounts that were you know on all these platforms were trying to spread pro-China messages, including, quote, positive commentary about China and its province, Xinjiang, and criticisms of the United States, Western foreign policies, and critics of the Chinese government using, including journalists and researchers. I'm just like, I guess, look, I, I guess I think do. I would see through it. Sure. And yes, it's what they do. They've been doing this for years through like other types of media, except for like, I guess social media is a little more insidious. But like, hey, who's friending all these people? Who's following all these people on it's, YouTube, it's TikTok, not about it. It's more they get the content out there. You know how this works, Sherlyn. And then people share it. Your grandma, yeah, your well, here's aunt the thing. shares it here's to the, the family messenger group. I just goes over. Well, coming to that yeah. point, which is that like I, I think I would see through it, but I realize that there's a lot of misinformation out there. And the fact that people buy all that inf- misinformation tells me how susceptible people must be about shit like this. So I get it. It's going to be... Totally get it, yeah. It's good, they, it's good they took it down, right? Like I have never met anyone that was convinced by any of this fake shit in my life, but... You know, there are people out there that probably are. My I, mom's I don't think you talk to. Yeah, you're not talking enough to your older family members, like the the, the crazy uncles. <sighs> the, I feel called out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you talk to them. They're like, I've been sending you this stuff yeah. on Facebook. Did you know what they're well, doing? Well, my to these family. Kids? Yeah. Yeah, my my aunts and uncles themselves are the ones spreading their rhetoric. So exactly. I mean, 
It's a whole thing. Um, and also, I'm yeah. not too surprised we're seeing this, too, because, hey, I don't think we ever fully reckoned with, like, a, a Russia's propaganda campaign leading up to 2016, which, by many, many accounts, directly helped, um, yeah, the former president. So this is a big deal. And I think a lot of it's important that these companies are um, are paying attention to this. Uh, yeah. They're calling this. I'm glad yeah. Meta caught it and noticed and did something about it right yeah totally great and yeah stay tuned to carissa bell's reporting on all this stuff because she immediately jumps on any major social media news she's always there Yeah, she's great she's always yes. there so yes please read carissa we also covered the fairphone 5 which daniel cooper calls boring yet exciting which is surprising because dan loves the fairphone and the fairphone brand no that's so. perfect that is the perfect description i know it's a great phone <laughs> it looks like this is a great phone and fairphone's uh, whole idea right is that it's modular it's repairable um it's more sustainable from parts from the people getting you know building these things boring isn't always a bad thing because it it, it shouldn't be like oh my god i can't believe they did this it's, i guess no. Yeah, yeah, I guess I read that like a sarcastic, right? Because <laughs> the the line, the headline we got in here is the Fairphone is boring. How exciting! And that, I read that, it like that, how exciting. Yeah, and yeah. I read how exciting <laughs> instead of how exciting. Like, oh my god! Wow, I feel like um, we have to we have to have a sit down on the chair here and wrap into like just why I need another break. Really, yeah, is what you're it just is. reading all the negativity here. But no, Daniel Cooper loves the Fairphone, and I think we all like the Fairphone phones. And this company has been pushing you know this idea for almost a decade now. And according to Dan, it sounds like this one is like it's great. It is fully, fully great and not even, it doesn't seem like that unique compared to looking at other mid-range Android phones. Uh, it has a 6.46 inch LG POLED display, a 4200 milliamp battery, uh, you know, doesn't have a he headphone jack anymore. They killed that last time. So that sucks. But a lot of these parts are, you know, separated components. Uh, the display uh, itself uh, costs around $108 to replace, which is far cheaper than replacing your iPhone screen yeah, or a Samsung screen. Uh, it's using Sam, uh, Qualcomm's OctaCore. Uh, I'm not going to say this. Uh, it's an OctaCore SoC, which hasn't been used in many other phones, but doesn't need to be super powerful. Like it just has everything you need. Um, this seems great. I mean, listen, Sherlyn, like you are, you are doing the mobile thing. You're leading our mobile coverage. Do you think this phone has a chance or anything like this? I think it it has a very niche appeal. I think if you think about the mass market or the average smartphone shopper, they only know to choose between iPhone and Samsung, really. Maybe, maybe if they're a little more tech woke, they're like Google. But the Fairphone needs a lot of A, word of mouth, B, marketing to get out there. And that's what it is, right? Like people may not be able to also contend with the idea of modularity in a phone. I don't think they understand what it means. I think they've just gotten so used to having every but but I could I could see if you pitch it like, oh, it's like um, you know, smartphones from our power phones from our past, right? Where you can replace a battery like that. You know, like we could remember when we have phones where you could snap out the battery. That's not that easy. Joy. You still have to like unscrew a bunch of things. I know, but yeah, you right? Can. But like if you pitch it kind of like that, you know, yeah. I know this. They had to carry a screwdriver around, which would defeat the yeah. purpose. But I, I don't know if it'll ever be mainstream, but certainly for the exactly. tinkerers or the tinkerers at heart, yeah. like this thing. Um, there's no U.S. release date yes, uh, yet, but you can pre-order it for six ninety nine uh, euros, around seven hundred fifty dollars, which. 
is fine, but I also think is a little more than actually a, a lot pricey. more than a mid range phone these days. Because you could get yeah. a good Android phone. Like, what are the Pixel A's going for at this point? Like three to four hundred. Yeah, about four hundred. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I feel like seven hundred fifty dollars. That's a great phone. That's a great phone. Uh, seven hundred fifty dollars is close to like what you'd pay for the base iPhone. You know, so th- this is kind of like a tough spot for them, but. I'm sure some people would be into this. Um, Fairphone has pledged for software updates for a long, long while. Um, and also, like, it, they've been around long enough where you can assume, like, there will be replacement parts if you need it. They're not just going to disappear. Um, the whole idea of modular hardware, it needs support, right? Like, when Dell announced that they were doing that uh, Alienware Area 51, uh, you know, desktop hardware and a laptop thing, they gave up on that in two years. So... You got nothing, you got nothing to replace. Exactly. Really. Yeah. That's why you, you need mass market appeal, really, for anything to have any longevity. And it's kind of, that's where I'm skeptical about this. Right? I love the idea. Not sure it has legs. Not uh, sure it has like long term legs. I, yeah, I, I do feel like, I don't know how long Fairfoot can keep doing this on their own. They're a Dutch, exactly. independent Dutch company. I'm sure somebody is being like Asus or somebody is like, yeah, we, we can help, we can help make you bigger. Come Didn't join Asus us. have. Yeah, didn't Asus have not a modular phone, but like a phone, uh, no, the phone pad. Remember the phone pad? I remember the phone pad. But I, I think somebody <laughs> would want to snap up Fairphone. Honestly, uh, keep it Euro. Like, where? who who has Nokia now? Where is that license? HMD. Oh, yeah. HMD. Okay. Yeah. So that's China, right? Yeah. So, yep. Yeah, exactly. Every, everything. They are all owned by China now, Devendra. We can have oh, a man. whole episode where we talk about the state of the smartphone market, both internationally and domestically, because the... Fairphone could never get in the U.S. because, first of all, they need to suck all of the carriers. They So they are. The Fairphone 4 did get released here. It just took a long time. So I think the... Which the, carrier? I don't know. I think you're just, you could just buy it. I have to look it up. But we did cover Unlocked? that. Okay. Um, but the, the Fairphone 5 will probably will take a while. It'll take a while before it actually gets to us. It's just a thing. But hey, I'm glad that they are surviving. I also want to mention that JBL, yeah, announced that it's ready to take on Sonos. Finally, after almost 20 years of Sonos being in business. But JBL announced the Authentics multi-room home speakers. And what's really cool about these is that they look like those classic uh, JBL speakers from the 70s, the L100s. They had this like grid boxy aesthetic. So if you look at like speaker forums or like, you know, people getting selling stuff on eBay, those things still cost a lot because... As we've described, as we've talked about, speakers can last forever if you take care of them. And speaker wire yeah. is a, it's a basic standard that's been around forever, like since speakers have been around. So you can still play decades old speakers just fine. Uh, these things look pretty cool. Um, the highest end version, which is pretty expensive, the Authentics uh, 500. Um, it has Dolby virtualized audio, Dolby Atmos audio for $700. So that is actually a lot more than Sonos's most expensive standalone speaker. Um, I have to look up the exact price, but it was typically like around 500 for the Play 5 and stuff. Uh, they have a 300, uh, Authentics 300 model for $430 with 360-degree audio and a smaller Authentics 200 uh, that they say can get stereo sound uh, for $330. So that's the one going against the Sonos One. Uh, the Sonos One is like the, you know, or the Era 100. That's their newest one. But that's their entry-level one that is affordable and can deliver big sound for not much money. So kind of cool. I think um, for a long time, if you weren't aware of JBL's like classic speakers, you know, they they made a lot of car stereos, a lot of car audio, boomboxes for a while. I don't think JBL as a brand really ever 
I think they had lost a lot of cachet even among like hi-fi yeah. aficionados. So this is a cool thing to see. It's so weird, yeah. Yeah, I hope they keep it up. Uh, one thing that they say is that they are the first smart speakers that can do two voice assistants at once. So they have both Alexa oh. and Google Home support. Like you can just talk to both immediately. Either one, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. Typically, like supporting both isn't actually rare. You could do that, I think, on the Sonos's, but you have to choose. You can only do Google or you can only do Alexa. So, which makes sense, yeah. right? Like, who's who? You know, who's going to ask both of them the same at once? You know what I mean? Like, you know, what, I know, listen. As as I have filled my home with smart home devices, there are some things you can ask Google. There are some things you can ask Amazon. True, I have both yeah. at home. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like different smart devices connected different like to have different hooks to things so not everything that can talk to alexa can talk to google so it's it's annoying it is super annoying i don't not a fan uh but this is one way to make it easier uh i also want to point out uh tom warren over at the verge uh, wrote this story about malware like pop-ups showing up in windows 11 to get people to ditch google he said while he was uh looking up something in chrome he was switching back to a game a pop-up appeared and told him, hey, you should probably switch your default search engine to Microsoft Bing. Uh, instead Wait, of search engine or search browser? Engine. Search engine. Oh. Switch the default search engine to Microsoft Bing in Chrome. And this is a pop-up that kind of stopped everything he was doing and kind of appeared on top of Windows. And he, this executable seems weird. It didn't show up in his notifications tray. It just seemed like a weird thing. I just want to say, I don't know if you've noticed this, Sherlyn, but I do think Microsoft is getting a little too aggressive about this stuff. Like when yeah, with I the launch Bing thing, quite with everything. Yeah. Like if I'm when I start new computers, whenever I'm reviewing a computer, I like to get Chrome along with Edge on that computer. If I'm searching for Chrome, a big pop up appears. Uh, when I'm using Microsoft Edge, a pop up appears. You've already got a great browser. You don't need to go download yeah. Chrome. Um, and this happens throughout too. There are some. Um, other folks pointed out, like, if you are in uh, here, Chrome search results, Microsoft can take over Chrome search results in Bing, according to a screenshot from Sean Hollister at The Verge, which is just really weird, too, because it's like you're doing a Chrome search and then it does like it just like took it. It took that result and gave it to you in Bing with the Bing AI stuff on top. Oh, yeah. This is it's just skeevy. Like to me, this feels really weird, especially for Microsoft right now, which is trying to pretend it's playing well with everybody. And also, especially for Microsoft, which got in a lot of trouble. for Exactly. Forcing. I'm like, this is reminiscent of what they used to do, no? This is reminiscent of the whole 90s things where people and the U.S. government basically said that they were, you know, pushing a monopoly by including Internet Explorer on Windows and kind of devaluing other browsers. It was a whole thing. Not really much amounted from that. Like it took... It wasn't until like 2010, 2011, like almost a decade after that ruling, when I started writing about tech, I was able to write about the repercussions for Microsoft's bad behavior in the right. 90s. And a lot of it was just a pop-up in Europe to be like, hey, don't worry, you can actually use multiple browsers long after everybody had settled on like Firefox or Chrome or something. So yep. the punishment for Microsoft, um, you know, the, I think they paid a pretty hefty fine, but in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter because what Microsoft wants is market share. So they will pay the fines and accept punishment if it means it's still a market share win for them, you know? So really weird, really skeevy. Uh, Microsoft hasn't fully responded. Um, I think a representative said uh, they're aware of these reports and have paused that specific notification while they investigate. But it's part of like a... I mean, what are... Yeah. 
what are they investigating? Like, is there some rogue engineer inserted code and was like, here, let's start doing this? <laughs> no, I think it was a thing they had planned to do, but maybe the trigger for yeah. it. Like, I think Tom Warren was like, I don't know why this happened. And this is a mm. weird executable that I've never seen on my system before. So I think people who know Windows, like whenever I see something weird, I go straight to the task manager. I look at what's running yes, and too. see like what's happening. Yeah. If I see a right. weird executable there, um, I get a little worried. Uh, Tom noticed that it was digitally signed by Microsoft, so it wasn't malware. But still, uh. you buy this computer, right? You pay for a Windows license. Even if you're buying a computer that has Windows pre-installed, the Windows license is a part of that price. It just seems really crummy that Microsoft spends so much energy being like, well, you can't use it the way you want. You have to use it our way. Uh, yeah. Man. Just not. not I don't. Cool. I mean, I'm not sure they're quite saying that with this like little pop up thing. No, but they, to they totally are. Like it, it's 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 forcing you to change. It's constant, though. It's like it, it's right. very annoying. It's very they're trying to wear you down. Yeah, they're wearing yeah. you down until like you just flip that default just so they stop bothering you. It's like stochastic terrorism over here for search engines. They're just wearing you down, man. I don't, I'm not a fan, but you know what? Folks, if you have noticed this in your Windows travels, yeah. drop us an email at podcastandgadget.com. Let us know how you feel about this because I it, make, it irks me. It annoys me quite a bit, even though I like Microsoft typically. Um, I rag on them far less than like other companies, but they still do really dumb things. You know, it's really annoying. Uh, I love that we have our mm -hmm. favorites. One of your favorites is yeah, Microsoft. One of my favorites is Google. I mean, listen, you gotta. It's 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 natural to have faves. You're still a Windows user. You know, you're not a I Chrome OS user. user main time, no, like I'm not. full time. <laughs> um, we all have oh, our faves, and the yeah. I think Microsoft post Nadella and a lot of the things he's done for the company have been for the yeah. better, you know? So it is yes, a far better company than it used to be. Uh, but man, is it still, it's sometimes they still do big, dumb big company things. Another bit of news I want to mention, which we forgot to mention last week, and I'm kicking myself about this now too, uh, India, India managed to land um, its moon lander. Um, let me see here, the Chandrayaan-3 spacecraft's Vikram oh, yeah. lander. Uh, landed on the south pole of the moon last Wednesday. And since then, it has been taking pictures. It actually took a picture of the lander, too, of, like, a little selfie. Not quite a selfie. It took a picture of its, like, sibling that was hiding him. Aww. And it's moving. It's taking photos. Uh, according to India, like, space folks, like, they're saying, like, they're watching out for craters on the moon. And they've been able to avoid some big ones because if it falls in there... It's, it's bad news. Um, it's also the first um, the first spacecraft to land at the moon's south pole, which can be really useful for testing the surface and testing, uh, you know, helping to figure out like how much water ice is actually on the moon. I think they also did some testing on the surface immediately and detected like, hey, there there is indeed a lot of surface, uh, a lot of sulfur here, and a lot of other minerals here, which we could tell remotely, but we didn't have the full, you know, we didn't have the full information there so right yeah you didn't actually get the the material directly yeah. mm -hmm. so this makes india the fourth country to achieve a soft landing on the moon the first like i said to land on the lunar south pole um actually just before this one of russia's uh moon landers also crashed in its attempt like a couple days before so the moon space race is on we've talked about what the u.s is doing as well um i believe it is the artemis lander that we're expecting to go in the next uh, couple of years artemis 3 mission in late 2025 that's the mission to return people to the moon uh for, with nasa so that's kind of cool uh the united arab emirates also wants to land by 2024 
it's cool to see countries kind of devoting resources to this and not just having it all taken up by SpaceX, basically, even though they will probably exactly. still rely on SpaceX and other private companies yeah. to get rockets and things like that. So yeah, it's happening. True. It's cool. I think it's uh, yeah, pretty cool news. Let's move on to what we're working on. What are you working on, Sherlyn, these days? <sighs> I mean, this week has been a blur uh, since coming back. I've been catching up, you know, doing some pre-event planning stuff. And, uh, you know, we've got some coworkers out this week. So covering, uh, on the edit side of things and helping other, uh, coworkers. I want to, I'm also in the, you know, working on some behind the scenes stuff for a, this report that I've been working on forever, but I never really found the time to put, you know, any actual work in. Can't talk about that yet. And then also, um, internally getting up some like, I don't know, training materials for some other people on the team. So. You know, fun stuff and disappearing into the black background. Slow, uh, You're just slowly, slowly uh, disappearing into the bushes. I mean, I'll give some folks some behind the scenes news. Like, uh, we are also like reworking our job uh, descriptions yeah. in a gadget. So, like, the things we're doing are changing a bit. Uh, I'm going to be leaning a little more into the podcast and maybe a little away from some like laptop stuff. So things are changing. We'll still be doing great coverage. Uh, just uh, expect the type of coverage to change up quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, but also more <laughs> more focus on what matters to some of us more, right? Like to make those things better, we kind of need to devote a bit more time and attention. So I think it'll be for the best. It's just a transitional period right now. We're all kind of like figuring it all out. For sure. We do. We do want to grow this podcast. If you're enjoying, please tell your friends. Uh, we were just bouncing some ideas around, like maybe another episode during the week, maybe a cool interview series or something. So we've got ideas, folks. If Shout podcastingagadget.com. If there's specifically things you'd love to see. I'd love to do some like, uh, I don't know what it would be, but I'd love to do some highly produced, uh, you know, Radio Lab esque episodes. I, or I, I or like the, I like that idea. I've been trying to get us to do that for any like big report. I see. I see. Producer Ben's eyes light up, and he's doing <laughs> high fives and dancing around the room right now. So you know, it's a thing. It's a thing we've talked about, and we would all love to do. If there are any specific stories you want us to dive into, let me know. Like how? Yeah. Like the behind the story, right? Like how did we get this story? I mean, we don't have a lot of stories that are like worth that much of a deep dive but you know the dyson zone testing i would love to get malak on to talk about her experience testing it or that sort of thing but we'll anyway see. what are you actually working what am on, i though, working right? on talking, i mean i'm yeah. working on reassessing like how i'm how i'm working <laughs> yeah. for one thing um but i'm still yeah. testing lg's ultra gear 49 inch gaming monitor i've talked about this before now i've had more time with it and i gotta say like man Things have changed a lot in the past five years since I first uh, have seen 49-inch monitors. It was back in like, actually over five years, right? It was 2017 that Samsung showed off one of its first ones. And it was just like, it was a private event, or a private thing to go to in New York City. We couldn't bring it into the office. It was big. It was unwieldy. It was also, the resolution was too short because typically with ultra-wides, it's, it's, it's like something something by 1440 or by 1080p. And this one was by was 1080p as the vertical pixels. And that was just way too short for me because I use a lot of ultra wides. I'm used to like 3440 by 1440. So that's like having two 1440p monitors side by side, basically. So this one I'm using has a much larger resolution. It is still very, very wide and you just can't get over that fact. But it's really good. It's really fast. It's super fast for games. It has one of the fastest refresh rates I've seen. I'm playing, you know, yeah. I'm playing G-Sync games, uh, G-Sync supported games on this powered by the NVIDIA RTX 4090. So I've got like a lot of horsepower. I just like crank this thing up for Cyberpunk and for Halo Infinite. And uh, what is that? There's a new shooter that's like an old school shooter right now. I'm playing a bit of that. Um, 
trying to think of what else. Also, also Armored Core 6, which Ben and I were talking about. I have done some Armored Core 6. And let me tell you, having a super, super wide screen in front of you is almost like being in VR. It's like being in one of those weird arcade uh, setups where you cannot see the outside world. And it's just you in the game. And that's kind of cool. Uh, so yeah, I'm a fan. I'm in the process of writing this up right now. I don't think it's for everybody because it is a little unwieldy. Like my process for, I have to get a webcam fitting. So I have to like push it all the way down. I have to like hook my, uh, microphone over the top, uh, with the arm to get it to fit properly. So depending on your workflow and the size of your desk, it may not be ideal. I also know some people like to use monitor arms and this thing is, it's kind of heavy. So I don't know how yeah, many monitor yeah. arms would actually support it. Um, I think the sweet spot for me and the thing I think a lot of people need to take a closer look at are the like 34 inch ultra wide monitors because they are just glorious. They can fit on most desks. They get you like great, basically the screen space of dual monitors and they're still super immersive for games and stuff. So when I reviewed the Alienware 34 inch OLED QD OLED screen uh, last year, I believe um, I still like think about that and how cool that display is. And Whenever I get rid of, like, whenever I have to send back this uh, 49-inch LG, I'm probably going to go for another 43-inch or maybe maybe a sweet spot in between. Maybe, like, a 40-inch or a 42-inch. There are more sizes popping up, but it's kind of cool to see that, hey, these things are, are useful. They have all the gaming features you want. They're still expensive, but screens are expensive. And if it's important to you, like, I think it's worth paying that cost. So, yeah, this LG Ultra Gear is pretty cool. Let's move on to our picks for the week. Um, what do you got, Sherlyn? I think mine's kind of a depressing pick, actually. <laughs> there have been a lot of documentaries uh, released lately. Mine, uh, this week's pick, is a fair, like, not as new. The documentary I watched recently on Netflix is Jimmy Savile, A British Horror Story. <laughs> okay. Jimmy Savile, I think you've heard, I don't know if you guys have heard of him, you have, you're nodding, um, is this prolific pedophile. Um and was just incredibly famous in the UK since the beginning of TVs, right? Like, it's just, it was wild to me because I had never heard of this person up until this past weekend. And, like, everyone British that I know that I talked to is like, oh, yeah, Jimmy Savile. I'm like, oh, shit, what the hell? I never knew this. And I was talking to my friend, um, my friend Michelle from the gym, and she was telling me that she had seen it too. And she was like, yeah, both me and her have no idea who Jimmy Savile was, but both of us were like, our British friends all are like, this guy's it, a It didn't deal. really translate much to the US, but it, it is a thing yeah. like I vaguely have heard about, yeah. Yeah, and yet, so the, the documentary itself, I mean, I have some little issues, again, because I do my job, like, because of the job I have, I have issues with the way it tells the story. I have issues with the choice of footage sometimes. But it's kind of a horrifying story about how much this person was able to get away with. And he wasn't even, like, discovered until he passed. Like, until after his death. And so, like, what are you going to do to a person? You couldn't have stopped him. And then also the there were some, like, really harrowing victim stories. Um, and it's just just really, really terrible to, like, see. But... Hey, if you were looking for a harrowing documentary to watch this week, uh, you can check out Jimmy Savile, A British Horror Story on Netflix. The, on the, another thing that's really interesting to note is that I think they're working on a sort of television series about this guy, and it's going to star Steve Coogan. Um, oh, man. I, yeah. You know Steve Coogan, I, right? I know Steve Coogan. So, okay. I, I could see that. I could see that fitting. Okay. Kind of cool. Well, uh, yeah. Dark, bleak. Dark, bleak. Hopefully next time, Sherlyn was going to give us something happy, happy. But I, I also actually have a sort of 
sort of not quite dark, but kind of a bleak uh, um, documentary. It's telemarketers on HBO, which is a cool, first of all, thank God is it three parts. It's just one, two, three episodes, not like an overlong streaming series, which they tend to do. Um, And this is about uh, two guys who were um, members or who worked at a telemarketing company, I think in the 2000s or 2010s called CDG. And they did this thing where they would like call up people and just straight up lie about um, raising money for police unions or, you know, uh, police uh, say get the police weapons or something or fallen officers funds. And they would raise a lot of money, typically from older folks who were maybe little who didn't quite understand like what was happening. Um, but they would raise this money and keep most of it. And maybe 10 percent went back to the police and. It's 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 a weird marketing scheme, and these guys uh, basically, since they were working there, it was uh, Sam Lipman Stern who co-created the documentary, and Pat Pespis, who's this great character, um, like an older guy who was just like really gregarious. Everybody loved him, and he was like the life of the party there. But they were both so incensed by what this company was doing, they were like, "Okay, we need to try to take them down." And the show is about them going through that process of trying to take them down. I'm not going to spoil too much here, but uh, let me just say um, the power of of America and the power of rich people to avoid any consequences is really the ultimate takeaway here. And feels kind of familiar as we're watching these stories about, you know, former presidents and the people around them and how they seem to be able to do whatever they want. It's kind of untouchable. It's frustrating but it is ultimately, it feels like bleakly realistic in that way. I think it is worth watching, though, because um, there are probably people in your family who have gotten these calls. There are probably people in your family. Uh, typically, when you get this, when you give money to these companies, uh, you get a sticker. You get like a police sticker and you put it on the back of your car and you're like, I support the cops. I support this police union. And when I was growing up, a lot of people in my family did this because they would get these calls and you know, they're like, okay, this sounds reasonable. I want to support the cops. And there was also this like running myth that if you have the sticker on the back of your car, you would be pulled over less. Uh, you would get less tickets because right. the cops would be like, hey, right. they, they like us. I, I'll take care of this guy. That's kind of BS. That's never actually the way it worked. But it was like a, a myth propagated by these companies. Um, and yeah, I do remember telling family members like this is you're just giving money to crooks to get a sticker. You're getting a sticker that has no power, but you think it has power. Um, it's a whole thing. It's very sad and depressing because these these companies, the people behind these companies, made hundreds of millions of dollars. Like they made bank while employing people for very little money and also basically scamming money from older folks and more vulnerable folks uh, in America. And there's very little that the government can do to stop it. Like there was some, there was some pushback, but these companies, they're like, you know, it's it's like a hydra. Like you, you cut off one head and it just grows back up somewhere else. Um, yeah, it's, it's to me. I find that thing just kind of depressing because that's that's life, man. You want the story of like, hey, you you have this big you have this big scoop and this big rev- revelation and you change the world and bad things stop happening. But <laughs> the message of the series is basically, no, no, no. Um, good effort, but they they are rich. You see, and the rules don't apply to them. So, 
Yeah. My friends are hooked on this show and they've been talking about it. So I think even... You should watch it. It's just like watching any kind of drama. Yeah, it's next on my list. I'm going to go watch it. Um, But I also wanted to... um, I know you have another pick, but also quickly to interject. I do have something upbeat that I started watching (laughs) that I think Jess Condit has actually recommended on this show before. I started watching Ultimatum, uh, the Ultimatum queer season, Mm. the all queer season. Mm -hmm. And it's freaking amazing. It's fantastic. It's like, oh, so cool. So... Yeah, that's a good watch if you're into that sort of show, dating reality TV. Something something a little brighter, I guess, yeah. A little lighter, I guess. A little lighter. <laughs> I've also seen the Gran Turismo movie, which I think nobody Ooh. was really excited about. And I wrote this up at Engadget, too. Um, and I, I think my main takeaway is like, man, this this is actually a pretty good sports movie in terms of like the formula of, of a sports movie. You have... A down and out newcomer who's really who has a pure heart and really wants to be good and become the top of his field or something and get into professional sports. In this case, it follows the story of Jan Martinborough, who is a this is a real story. This is a real life person. He was a Gran Turismo fanatic who played the game endlessly. He was invited to uh, participate in a contest co-sponsored by Sony and Nissan uh, in the early 2010s. He placed very well in that digital contest. And the whole idea is to get the gamers into real cars so they can race in the real world. And, oh, wow. you know, not not huge spoilers for real life because you've probably heard his name out there in the news. But Jan Martinborough did become a pro racer, is still racing, did the stunts for the races in this movie, actually, too, uh, for the actor playing him. So it's like this, it's this really cool gamer story. Gamers, like, this is the gamer's dream. You want to be good at something in the real world as you are in the virtual world. Um, But I just couldn't help like, man, think like how much this is a marketing like machine by Sony too. Uh, This is probably before your time, Sherlyn. I hate every time I have to say that. Uh, But there was this movie called The Wizard. I think it was in like 1989. Of Oz? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Um, but The Wizard uh, was about Fred Savage and his friends going to a major video game tournament where they played Super Mario Brothers 3. And in that was the first time anybody in America had seen Super Mario Brothers 3. So it was like this big, it was a movie, it was a movie in theaters, but really it was like this big marketing event for Nintendo too because it led to a ton of sales for Super Mario Brothers 3. Um, This movie begins with like, uh, an almost like pre-produced like commercial from Sony talking about the creator of Gran Turismo. He spent ten years developing a game that was so realistic. Uh, before ever we're, we are even introduced to characters or anything, we get this promo: "Hey, Gran Turismo is really important. Don't forget that." Throughout the movie, they never call it a game. It's actually offensive to call it a game. It is a simulation. It is a <laughs> driving simulation so like flight simulator basically yeah yeah. um this is a movie where one character i I do think a lot of the actors are great david harbour is great david harbour from stranger things is in this he has a cassette walkman player of course he does this this movie is set in like the early 2010s you know and people make fun of him for he's like no man i love it i love this thing and at one point slight spoilers he gets a digital walkman a walkman that plays digital files and it's like it's so important for him. He is so like, I can't believe it. This is a world where iPhones don't exist. This is a world where like iPods or other devices don't exist. This is a Sony world 
where only Sony devices can solve problems. So that's kind of funny. I've literally never seen the Walkman digital audio player out in the real world. Like outside of stores, the only I time... I never saw it either. Occasionally Hideo Kojima, you know, the creator of Metal Gear Solid, will tweet about, I'm listening to this. And he is he's a big, you know, big supporter of J- Japanese tech. So like he's like, he has a Walkman and he takes pictures of his Walkman. But I don't think that device exists anywhere else. So anyway, listeners, if you like those things, let me know. Um, but yeah, th- this feels like such a weird Sony marketing attempt. And that really hurts the fact that it's a pretty decent sports film because I think the racing feels good. It's shot really creatively. Uh, it's directed by Neil Blomkamp of District 9 fame. And that's a guy who has never really found success again since that first movie. But I think this is, you know, his best movie since District 9. The script is crap. But the actors really, really push it. So I love the the actor who plays the young Jan, uh, Archie Madakwe. David Harbour is great. Orlando Bloom's in this movie, and he's not very good. But he's in. I love movie. Orlando Bloom. He's not I'm very watch good. It. He's not very good. Okay. Um, but fun movie. Maybe not worth seeing in the theaters. But if you can get to see this movie at a matinee price, I think it's worth it because it is good to watch it on a big screen and have a big sound system and just really feel it because I think Neil Blomkamp does a good job with that. So yeah, Gran Turismo, not bad, but man, is it cringe. Well, that's it for this week's episode, everyone. Thank you as always for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at... At Devendra, at Mastodon.social, Blue Sky, and at Devendra. I'm still on Twitter, but I'm not like... I'm just like retweeting progressive stuff and stuff to, where I want to lift people's platforms. I'm not promoting anything on Twitter anymore. If you want to send me your hot Apple tips so that I can be the next Mark Gurman, I am at Sherlyn Instagram on threads. I am still at Sherlyn Low on Twitter or X, but I'm not looking at it a lot really. Um, and you can always email me, Sherlyn, or share C-H-E-R at Engadget.com. Email us your thoughts at podcast at Engadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes so people can discover us. And subscribe on anything that gets podcasts. Staged, staged, staged.